What excites me the most is hitting a new threshold for myself. I mean, this is by far the hardest thing I've ever done. Hello, everyone. It is I, Richard Olberger, and thank you for yet another edition of the Richard Listens podcast. I am pleased to have you with me today. And uh, today is a day like no other. Uh, as we continue to find amazing individuals in community and life that I come across, um, today's guest is a ultra marathon runner. Many of you have uh, become fans of David Goggins online and his pursuit of endurance through sport. And so we're going to get into that today. We're also going to get into what it's like to serve an elite military unit and the parallels between military pursuit and athleticism, um, especially at this level of intense endurance uh, Ironman races, such as Eli has completed. Uh, Eli Winninger, is a, he was a reservist in the Ergos unit of the Special Forces Commando Brigade. Um, that specialized in covert population operations. He spent three and a half years serving uh, in the Army as a platoon sergeant after graduating from the University of Southern California, and he was a double business and accounting major. He's a, currently a hybrid athlete and competitive ultramarathon runner that races 50 milers, 100 milers, and in two weeks, uh, he'll be racing in the 240-mile race called the Moab 240. Beyond ultramarathons, Eli has completed several Ironman races and is a certified yoga instructor and daily meditation practitioner. Eli is a nutrition and fitness coach that works with his clients on everything from preparing a customized and sustainable diet to training them to be in the best shape of their lives, whether that's weightlifting, yoga, or running ultras. Eli's passion is to help others to be the best version of themselves and believes that requires discipline and consistency, two of the most important lessons he learned in serving in the military. It's my honor to have here um, Eli, and uh, most of you will get directed to his Instagram page where you can learn tons of fun stuff about nutrition and how to make these large goals achievable, manageable, maintainable. Uh, so it's inspiring and fun, and uh, it's great to be alongside his journey and to learn what it takes uh, to go the distance. So again, thank you all for being here. This is um, Suicide Awareness Month, so please check on loved ones, friends you haven't heard from in a while, uh, and reach out to get support you yourself if you're going through a tough time or are just having a tough time readjusting. Uh, or just adjusting to the changes in the world, bombardments of social media, or uh, all the changes that have come over the last few years. You are not alone, and the one healing component that we find is connection to others, groups, friends, even someone to just witness our pain and suffering can alleviate some of the stress. So that's my soapbox, and without further ado, welcoming on eli eli how are you checking in today thank you thank you i'm doing great i'm doing great how about you i'm doing great but i'm in, i did a workout today but i don't know how many miles did you log 
Today, I, today I didn't do anything actually. Today's an option. Okay, I'm ahead. I'm ahead. Today, okay. You're way ahead of me. Yeah, you're, today you're way ahead. Of me. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, I, I mentioned to the guests on the way in. We're watching your food prep blogs, um, having fun, getting out there with friends. I love that message, and of course. Um, I think we were introduced originally because you were about to do a, a Tough mutter with your family, and I think maybe I was looking for teammates. Or, uh, so, um, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, where you are right now, uh, being two weeks out from uh, from this race, and um, how, how are you feeling and doing emotionally, and uh, what our guests need to know. Yeah, I am... Uh... So the race, I don't know exactly how, how you had said it before, but the race is... Yeah, maybe give us a little bit about the, the, the Moab 240. Sure. Yes, yeah, so the race is called the Moab 240. Uh, it's a 240-mile race, fitting for the name, that take, takes place in Moab. Um, it's got about 31,000 feet of elevation gain, which means it's you're climbing essentially the height of Mount Everest. You're not getting that high in elevation because it's only one Mount Everest, but total climbing... And vertical you're doing is 31,000 feet. Uh, it's 116 hours, so about four days, 20 hours to finish it. Um, so people usually, there's a whole thing on sleep and how to incorporate that. Um, but I think there's uh, somewhere around 200 participants uh, this year, which I think is their biggest year. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the most difficult races in the country for sure. David Goggins actually talks about it a lot. His newest book, Never Finished, which was the inspiration for me signing up for it, 100%. Um, big David Goggins fan. So once I heard that he was doing it, I went for it. Um, but yeah, before that, I've done 200-mile races. One of them was last year. It's called the Mogollon Monster. It's in uh, it's near Flagstaff, Arizona. So that has a lot of elevation gain and all that. Uh and the most recent one was called the Leadville 100, which was about a month and a half ago now. Um, that one was in Leadville, Colorado. It has about 15,000 feet of vertical gain throughout the race. And it takes place at an average elevation of 10,500 10 feet. So you like, can't breathe most of the race. Um, so those have been my longest races to date. This next one is going to pummel them. <laughs> Um, I always kind of, I was trying to get it in my mindset when I finished this most recent race, when I got to the hundred, got to the finish line, I was like, I am not even going to be halfway. Uh, so that part is definitely scaring me. There's, there's a huge intimidation factor, uh, going into this one. So we'll see how that goes. Because of the height? Because of the distance. Uh, the height I'm not as worried about. So if you break it down, the so the way a lot of ultra runners will look at races is feet per mile. So this one has about 31,000 uh, 31, feet of gain over the course of 240 miles. You're looking at like, I think it's 130 feet per mile, the most. Uh, Leadville was 100 was about fifteen to 16,000 feet of gain over the course of 100 miles. So you're looking at like 160 to 70 feet per mile. And my training averages 200 feet per mile. So I'm doing really steep elevation training. 
or like vertical gain training, which essentially allows you to reduce the mileage because the intensity is higher. Uh, but it also prepares me for these steep climbs, which is what gets people in the races. I mean, you you climb, and they're generally not, you know, a gradual, really easy climb. It's, it can be flat or it can be pretty easy, and all of a sudden they have you climb a massive mountain. Uh, and then when you climb the massive mountain, that's what completely shocks people's legs. And, and you know, that's what you see a lot of quits and what they call DNFs, did not finish. People voluntarily DNF usually on or after mountains because it just destroys them. So I try to train for that. Yeah, you and I joked about it that um, you know that the Barkley Marathon, uh, you know, this famous one where they they invite people or it's invitation only, and I think they intentionally allow people in who they think will never finish. Yeah, <laughs> they've got they've got they have one entrant a year that they just think that person has no chance of finishing and they always give them the first bib, like bib number one, because they say you're bib number one because you'll be the first one to finish. Or you'll be the first one to, to end the race. I think they say it. But the Barkley is, that's, that's a race. That is another level of a beast. So, yeah, and this is, of course, we're talking about uh, Barkley Marathons can be found on Netflix. So this opened my eyes seeing, you know, just the world of ultramarathon runners and running. Um, I mean, so, you know, you mentioned being a fan of David Goggins. You served in the military, not only chose to go serve in the military abroad, but you served in an elite unit. So yeah. has this been you since a young age? Like, has it been like, uh, is there an adrenaline junkie in you? Is it just you love competing? Like, where does all this come from? For sure, for sure. It's a super good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that a good amount. So it's, it's a good <laughs> question. Well, uh, you seem to enjoy it, at least from the social media. Oh, I know I not everything it. we see on social media, but you seem to be really happy uh, in your element. So. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um, I mean, I definitely have always been athletic. I grew up playing really competitive soccer. So our coach always happened to be the type of coach that loved having 60%, 70% of every practice just be sprints and runs and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think from a young age, it really got ingrained in me. Uh, and I've always had the work ethic. So I've never been the best naturally gifted person in a lot of these things. But I've always been the one that's going to work extra hard and put the extra hours and run a little bit harder and be having no problem. Like, all right, I'm going to keep going until I throw up or whatever it is. Um, so in that sense, it, it that kind of mentality got ingrained really early. And then I think it was sometime like elementary school, no, middle school or high school. I saw, I remember one of my, one of my teachers had, a, had done an Ironman and I remember a bunch of people saying, whoa, that's so cool. And I had no idea what the Ironman was. And I looked it up and I was like, wow, I'm going to do that one day. That sounds cool. But I was like 12 or 13 or 14. Um, and then it was in college that I went to my first triathlon with my dad. Um, he had signed up for a triathlon for the Malibu triathlon, which is a great triathlon. I went to support him and cheer him on at like four in the morning and I just fell in love with the energy. I've always been super into fitness, super into health, 
for as long as I can remember. Uh, you know, I quit candy and sodas when I was 13 years old voluntarily. Um, so I've always really been into that kind of stuff. So I went to them on and that was the entire atmosphere. Everyone loves being outside. Everyone was super happy. I mean, the energy of a triathlon slash ultra marathon, those two communities are communities that love being outside. They're very supportive. It's not some crazy intense, bad sport competition kind of vibe. Everyone's mostly just trying to beat themselves because unless you're a pro and you're trying to win it, you're just trying to do better than you did last time or you're trying to finish. So everyone's super supportive of each other. They like training together. You're outside. So that's the energy that are, that's at all these races. And I just fell in love with it from the moment I was there. Started training with my dad all the time, going swimming together uh, out in the ocean in Santa Monica. We were running. Um, and then I decided to do an Ironman. I was like, I'm going to do an Ironman a year from now. And then once I did the Ironman, I went full on. I was like, this is awesome. I love the endurance. I love the mental aspect of, and this gets back to your question exactly of like the endurance part and the adrenaline junkie. But I love that getting to that point mentally where you think you're going to quit. You don't know if you have it in you. Everything in your body is telling you to stop. I mean, everything in your body is telling you to stop. Your parents might even be telling you to stop. Um, but you just have to keep telling yourself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. doesn't matter how painful it is. doesn't matter this. Like, I told myself I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, and it's that mindset shift that I love training. And it's like a discipline that you really need to have. And then the day-to-day -day is fun. Like the day-to-day -day training, running. You get your endorphins pumping, all that. Go ahead. You say the last part. I was going to say, just the day-to-day -day trainings. You get your endorphins pumping. It's healthy. You, uh, you know, you can yeah, run with friends. I have a ton of running that I run with. So I it's just to, a communal thing to do. Yeah, I, I want to apologize for mischaracter. I drain a junkie sometimes. It's like, you know, there is an addictive component to some of these elements of exercise. And and I want to ask you about that fine line. Uh, but but it's also right the beautiful thing which which I talk about in the in the zero method my book right having that bond with your father being up being excited your initial exposure to something as this amazing fun community totally it lights up your brain in a very different kind of way hundred percent one hundred percent I mean definitely have to give full credit to my dad on getting me into i don't think he realized where it was gonna you know snowball into <laughs> I, I wonder if he's gonna have that thought at mile marker uh one oh, he's, he's had he's he thinks i mean him and my mom think i'm crazy at this point but um because they're crazy yeah exactly right the, the the genes come from them somehow but um yeah, no, I definitely got into it from my dad. I did my first half marathon, actually, when I was 13 years old with my dad. Uh, I barely finished it. I walked the last six or seven miles. Um, but I think in general, there's definitely that fine line between becoming addicted to it and having the right enjoyment of it. And as long as you're still enjoying it, you know, with anything, in, 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 I think, in life is 
to be really good, you want to be obsessed with it and you want to enjoy it. So do you need to be sacrificing every aspect of your life and not having social and not having this, not having that? That's probably where it gets unhealthy. But if you're able to intertwine it all and you're still with family and you're still, you know, working and you're still doing all that, then, then I think it's healthy and it's good. You know, it's not like, um, there's definitely, you know, some sort of, you know, maybe not healthy part for my knees when you're doing two to 300 mile runs. Uh, and you know, you always have the question that I'm sure you're thinking and listeners are thinking and I get all the time is so like, when's enough? (laughs) Um, and I don't know the answer for that, but you know, it's, it's doing each race, it's committing at each race I do, whether it's a 50 mile or a hundred mile or 50 K, so that's 32 miles, the full Ironman, whatever it is. I've learned so much about myself in each race and in the training. You just, you practice discipline. It's a muscle that needs to be constantly practiced and consistency. And that's the biggest thing I get for it. Wow. I mean, so many directions we can go. So yeah. I'm rambling sometimes. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, and there's no one who achieves something great or great feats without sacrifice. So I I love it that it keeps it really connected for you, that your family's involved, that you're right, even if it's said in jest that I, I... they're going to be there at the race, right? And you told me it's a big, big deal that you need to have your team. And oh. I have never run a marathon myself, but I'm sure that even in a shorter race for you, seeing somebody when you're at one of those mental walls, totally, you need something, right? Um, what keeps you going when you hit that place where your brain uh, is telling you something Right. Or your body is telling you. Yeah. Right. Really. Uh, I mean, definitely having fans there helps and a crew to support you physically with logistics and all that. I mean, you you can't, I can't finish a race without them. And there are parts of certain aid stations I'll get to where I, it's so nice seeing your crew. But I mean, you've got an aid station every eight to 20 miles at least for Moab and for other races, you know, it's usually in that 10 to 15 mile mark. You're not seeing people for hours, maybe racers. So you're really by yourself. And that's my favorite part about the sport is you're in pain more than you can imagine. And like you're at mile 70 or 80 or soon to be mile 160, let's say, and you're by yourself. There's no one around. You, you know, you need to dig super deep. And one of my favorite ultramarathon runners, uh, her name's Courtney DeWalter. Fun fact, ultramarathon, the longer distance you get over one, I think it's over like 160 or 195, something like that. But um, women actually become better at the sport than men. So it starts at a 5K where men are 17% better and it goes up to above 195 miles. Women are actually, just by results, perform better than men. Fun fact, but Courtney DeWalter is one of the best ultramarathon runners. And she has a famous expression called the pain cave. And she goes for every race she goes into. Have you heard about this? No, please tell me. So for every race she goes into, um, 
she tried she knows she's gonna get into a lot of pain so i think she's the record for the moab 240 but um and for her it's she's gonna get back inside that pain cave she knows where it is and she wants to keep exploring it and keep digging it deeper because inside that cave is where you're finding yourself um so anytime i'm doing these races I'm just digging it deeper. David Goggins talks about the cookie jar. So for some people, a 240-mile race seems out of this world. But for someone who's done 100 miles, it seems crazy, but it's not as bad. Someone who's never done a 5K sees it as like this, you know, going to, going to the moon. Um, so it's like, it, it's easier to look at it in that sense. And when I'm running these things, I'm just thinking I've done this. I've been in worse situations. I've been in harder situations or like think about how much I'm going to get and how much I'm, how proud I'm going to be of myself. And like the thought of quitting is so foreign uh, that there's no way I can allow myself to quit. And that kind of keeps you going. And you are like, I, there have been moments where I've just been like, I think it was Leadville around mile 46. I sprained my knee. Uh, and just popped an Advil and kept running and ended up finishing the race in the top three or four percent. Um, but you just, it just has to be this switch. There's no other way to put it. This switch that turns on, you just say, there's no freaking way I'm quitting. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's this, you know, so yeah, I guess that's how do you, for our listeners makes sense between pushing your limits and acknowledging your safety or, yeah. you know, like, like how, how, in a race like this. And I know that for context, right, there are rest stations or uh, <laughs> where you get first aid and yeah. like that's built in. Right. But, but yeah, Explain to me, like, even within the race, how you'll approach totally. yourself, nurturing, dealing with injury. Totally. Uh, and the seeming, um, you know, even if it's you've done 100 miles, you're still going uh, 2.5 times. Totally. You're, you're, so there's, there's, I, the way I first had my coach, you know, my soccer coach a while back tell me about it, is like, learn the difference between pain and discomfort. And I think a lot of athletes will will understand that part of it is things can be uncomfortable. Maybe your your muscle is hurting a little bit, but there's things you can push through. Maybe your ankle's a little bit tweaked, but you're in the finals. You're gonna you're gonna keep playing. Um, is your ankle broken and you need to play next season, or you need to make it you know to the finals and it's just the season? You know, keep you know let, let's rest it. Uh, but similarly here. That is for sure the case. So know the difference between pain and discomfort. But even when you're getting into pain, if you think it's a life-changing injury, right? Like the way I see it is I want to race to race another day. Like I enjoy racing. I enjoy the sport. Is this something that's going to not let me race next season or two months from now? If so, like let's stop. Like that's it. But um, and at the same time, is this something that's going to make me not be able to walk when I'm 60, 70? Like, let's, let's stop. Um, 
But until then, that's where the battle becomes in my mind. And that's where you need to really learn and understand your body. Like, don't, you know, don't take that risk, but know the difference. And there's a super fine line for everyone. And it's different for everyone. That's why you have people who DNF. But the biggest thing is, and this is the case for all military training. David Goggins will talk about it in his books. I know it from experience with my own uh, training in, in the Israeli Special Forces. Friends of mine who have been in you know, top-tier units. You can be in so much pain, and it's crazy how much, body, how much pain the body can really handle. The second you give up, you're going to feel good, and five to ten minutes later, you're going to feel terrible. You're like, I can't believe I quit. And it's going to haunt you for so long. And that's so much scarier to me. And for me, it's like, if I can, like, is this something that I won't be able to race or won't be able to like live a normal life a year or two from now? Stop. But is this something that a really I interesting discussion that you need to have with yourself, right? Like you can quit, mm -hmm. but there's a consequence and I've kind of trained for being in these limits. And I'm sure some of our listeners, this can sound a little masochistic about pain and relationship to pain, yeah. but even in martial arts, there is a certain degree. When, you, when I went to China uh, for, for my black belt and I was watching uh, these young Kung Fu trainees, you know, like going down, like doing handstands and climbing multiple layers and right. their endurance, their flexibility, the amount of, capacity for expanding what their muscles what they can tolerate totally. being very still for you know for the, the training of just being still and with the breath and learning to be of no mind letting thoughts pass through totally. and not to them um so how do you train your mind to be in this very interesting what you mentioned you know about being in this relationship to pain in this cave in this space that most would think of as very painful but it's also where you get to be in relationship to yourself yeah and it's it's definitely a spectrum because so first on on one hand with you know the meditation let's say for them people who do it for hours or for the flexibility and, and fighters let's say for doing like jujitsu or mma or any type of martial arts um you know, I look at these things. I would say I watch UFC and I remind like, what? Like, how does someone take so many punches to the face? Like, what? Punch me in the face once. But it's all training, right? When I was doing Krav Maga in, in the army, the first time you get hit in the face and you're, you're shook, but you keep practicing it, you keep learning, and you get better at it. Um, and, and your your mind can adapt. It's amazing how well the human mind can adapt to things. Um, so for my training, for my mental trainings, everywhere in a spectrum of enjoy and embrace the pain because it's going to make me stronger and better. Right? As I think, as society, we've gotten this is like a slight side tangent, but I think as society, a lot of times we've gotten so used to our comforts, right? The, the room is always, you know, 69, 70 degrees. Uh, we're always going to have food whenever we need it. Uh, 
you're tired, you lie down and take a rest, you want to hang out outside. So we've gone so used to our comforts, but as humans growing up, we've needed, we've gotten, we're very good at being in uncomfortable situations, right? Thousands of years ago, you're in, you're, you're starving or it's freezing cold outside or you're going on a long march, you need to figure it out. So our, our brains are very adaptable in that sense to pain. Uh, so part of it is embracing it and me just knowing that it's going to make me stronger, right? Being in a very easy couch all the time is not going to make me stronger. Putting myself in uncomfortable situations will. So the more I can do that, the better. It's something I like to think about. And the other one is just trying to zone out because when you zone out, you forget about it. <laughs> so it gets very meditative. I'm a big, big into meditation. Uh, I did Vipassana meditation. I meditate every day. And a big part of you know, when I run, I just zone out. Oftentimes, I don't listen to music, don't listen to audiobooks, podcasts. People think it's crazy. But you just what are, what are the rules zone for that? out. Ultra marathon. Are you allowed music? For ultras, you're usually allowed. It varies race by race. Ironmans are very strict, no music. Uh, but ultra marathons, you're allowed. Yeah. It's like, you know, this one's going to be four days if you're by yourself. You can sit out, listen to it. I mean, I did my first 100 miler and I listened to Fountainhead by, or not Fountainhead, I listened to Atlas Shrug by Ayn Rand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, That's the secret. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes, like, you know, I'll just turn off the music, enjoy being around me, zone out, focus on the race, where I need to be, make sure I don't get lost, make sure I don't miss a turn. Am I eating enough? Super important is the nutrition aspect. Uh, I can get to that in a little bit. Are but, you going at a pace where you can track all these things? You, you practice it during your long run. So training is, is huge. Like, someone who's never run a mile is going to think 240 is insane but someone who runs a marathon every weekend has training uh and is clocking 50 to 100 miles a week it it becomes a lot more digestible and you build yourself up to that um so when i'm running i'm running at a very slow pace it's something that's called zone two training this gets a little bit more in the weeds i'm happy to get into it if you want but it it essentially keeps your heart rate very, very low. Uh, and you're able to, you know, it should be a conversational pace, something you can, you I can like, talk about. I like that you said that, uh, and I, yeah, sure, give us the science behind it, because in watching your social media, yeah, it's it, it seems like a relaxed pace. You're not, like, sprinting by somebody. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to be out here for a long time. It's me and nature, and I need to be good out here. Yeah. That's the vibe. Yeah. The way, so it's funny because there's something called marathon pace, which is like, there's no way I should be running marathon pace. So there's always the expression, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Well, it's, it's not a marathon, it's an ultra marathon. <laughs> uh, you go even slower. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes, um, it's by this guy, Nick Bear. It's actually his uh, big influencer. He's a hybrid athlete who does a lot of weightlifting, a lot of ultra marathons. Um, but, his running coach actually says it, and it's consistently good is better than occasionally great. And ultra marathons are all about that. You can't try to run, you know, the first 10 miles really quickly. Uh, and for training, you can't have, you know, one 60 mile week and then not do anything for a couple of weeks and have another because you're just, you're not going to get your training. You need to be consistent about everything. 
So how many weeks do you train for an ultra? When do you start? For this, you, you should start, I mean, it all depends on your base. So if you have experience running ultras, you can start four months before and you have a solid 20 to 30 miles a week base already. You can, you can start training, you can start training four months, three months before. Uh, if you've never done an ultra, you know, start at a 50K and I wouldn't give yourself less than four months of training. Uh, but, you know, if you're going from couch to 50K, give yourself like six months. You really, you'll injure yourself. Other. Can you do it? 100%. Like, can you physically do it? But that's where it gets to that point of, are you going to injure yourself? Are you going to take yourself out for the next few months? And because of that, you fall back in your training. So it's all about looking at it in the long game, being consistent. Is this going to allow me to train next week? Yes. Great. Is it going to put me out for the next six months to a year because I'm completely injured? Yes. Okay, so maybe I don't do it. Right. So you've got goals here. And right, there's goals about preserving health. There's goals about longevity. Um, in terms of performance goals, do you set out going? Obviously, there's a certain distance or time you want to make every day. Uh, or is it just yeah. finishing something of this magnitude? Like, is it like climbing Everest? Is it like, I, you know, just to say that I made it through is going to be monumental. Like, how do you internally frame that? I mean, for me yeah. to even say I stepped foot on a marathon would still seems like totally. a bucket list. Yeah. Totally. No, totally. So, and, and, and it's a great question and that's where it's a huge spectrum. So, now, if I were to go do a marathon, I would want to get a really good time. Uh, my first time doing a marathon, I just want to finish. You just want to cross the finish line. Um, so, and all of these races are very different terrains. So with Leadville, for example, I would have been stoked crossing the finish line, but I had other goals as well. I had, you know, different times that I wanted to try to hit. If I didn't hit any of those and I just crossed the finish line, I would have been ecstatic. And the same goes with Moab. If I finish and I'm the last person to cross that finish line, I'll be so stoked, so proud of myself. Uh, because for me, it's this monumental new milestone that I mentally know I've hit 240. And to be honest, if I'm the last person to cross the finish line, I probably went through a lot of stuff in my head over the course of 116 hours. And I probably dug my pain cave really deep. Um, yeah, you're going to come out with what? Uh, two scripts and uh, three business plans? Yeah, like like I I can only fathom running 116 hours straight. I hope I don't finish that time. I mean, um, I'm saying, but would you do that? Would you like channel your thoughts or, or voice record? Or is that kind of thinking counterproductive? Like, to be What do you mean by, by voice like, record? Putting the energy into, you know, like recording your thought like multitasking in that level uh so do you mean like while i'm while i'm racing while so you're actually racing right and, and listen to something i've pre-recorded beforehand or listen to, or like go no, through like actually like creating a business plan or, or like oh, creating... oh uh i'll definitely voice record thoughts that go through my head for sure because you can have i mean you get all sorts of crazy ideas going through your head. Sometimes <laughs> I'll, listen, I'll listen to it after. I was really stupid. <laughs> what, what kind of mindset was I in? Hey, listen, you know, Eli, I tell my clients, make a bad idea list, right? Yeah. It's about it a lot, right? Like, you don't know what to do? 
right? Write down some bad ideas without filtering. Exactly. No, so definitely in the races, I mean, you uh, all have all sorts of crazy ideas. I've had during my runs, my best time for, for, it doesn't have to necessarily be a race, but again, a lot of the races, what I love about it is, is the training, the consistency is I'll, you know, go out for a three, four, five, six hour run by myself on a weekend. You've still got a lot of time to think, you know, you'll hit audiobooks and podcasts, but you've got a lot of time to think. And I've had great ideas like business ideas, whatever it is, I just write, stop, write down on my phone, right? I'm, I'm in no rush. Uh, so I'll stop, I'll write them down on my phone. Maybe I voice record it. Uh, they're all, they're all, you know, time is, time is in your hands. And for training, you're more looking at time on feet. So you just want to be on your feet for a lot of, for many hours at a time, uh, rather than clocking a hundred miles. Uh, you, you know, if you're just on your feet all the time, it's, it's way better. Right. So what, uh, what excites you the most about this, this feat that you're taking on? Wow. You seem happy in the kitchen. You seem happy with the food prep. Yeah. I love the food prep. I think nutrition is super important for, for these races. Um, so that's I'm another really... passion of yours as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nutrition is a huge passion of mine. Uh, but what excites me for this race? Are you preparing the snacks? Are you preparing like what you're going to eat? Like, is that part of it? Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's a whole. Uh, I, I can get. What, after I say what excites me, I'm happy to dive into the nutrition because that's a whole world of strategy that's just as important uh, as the actual training. We'll do the master class. We'll yeah. Yeah. But uh, what excites me the most is hitting a new threshold for myself i mean this is by far going to be the hardest thing i've ever done uh and you know it constantly gets i've constantly pushed the limit and boundaries it went from you know doing nothing to doing a triathlon to doing an ironman to my military training to 50 milers to 100 milers to 100 milers trying to do it in the fast amount of time i did it i think it was in the top three percent for leadville so that was wild to me um so for me doing 240 miles and being on my feet and running for 160, let's say 80 is my goal, but 80 hours is my goal, which would put me in the top 10, per, top 10 in the race, uh, which would be top 5%. would be the top one. If you're running for 80 miles of it, 80 hours, sorry. 80 hours. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So my goal is to finish in 80 hours, which would be, uh, put me in the top 100 all time and in the top 10 for the actual race, pretty much. If you look at historical races, um, but you know, even finishing in 116 hours, the concept of just doing that and what I'm going to learn from myself and finish crossing that finish line. is it's, it's so exciting for me. I mean, I know I'm, it, it's different, but Everyone's got their everyone's got their thing that's gonna push them to a new level. It could be starting a new business. It could be, uh, you know, having a family. It's everything is everything's a huge new milestone, and I think you know it's just one of them for me. And I'm super super stoked to see how my body's gonna handle it, how my mind's gonna handle it, where am I gonna go, uh, and then to go into the nutrition of it because that's insanely important. Uh, there's a common expression that uh, ultra marathons especially 100 milers are just they're not they're not running races they're eating competitions 
Um, and that's basically because <laughs> you are burning so many calories that if you don't refill those calories during the race, not after, not before, or you need after and before, but if you're not doing it during the race, you're going to bonk. Bonk is an expression that you just, your body shuts down entirely. Um, and then you're going to quit and you're going to give up because things, you know, your body's going to malfunction all sorts of ways. Some people have GI issues, so it's really hard for them to consume um, calories and food and they have to force feed themselves, however, however it works. So it's part of your training is, I know for myself, I can only handle sugary foods and gels to a certain degree. After I've had so much sugar and gels, I'm, I don't eat sugar in my day to day. So my body, I only eat sugar really when I'm training and I'm having my jacuzzi and gels and that kind of stuff. You need it. You, you just need that type of carbohydrate. Um, it's just fast. The body can take it, digest it. You don't, you're right, you don't need a steak. Uh, it's going to be too much energy for the body to process and digest. So you need that, that, that you need the glucose. But if you, for, but again, this is for me. If I'm having too much of it, my body starts rejecting it severely. And it's so difficult for me to take them in. But luckily, there's normal food I can eat. And for most people, it's very difficult to eat normal food. And they prefer to have these goos and gels. Give me a sandwich during a race and I'll scarf it down. Uh, there's a funny picture. Or it's a funny video my friend took during the Leadville race where I was just eating this ramen noodle thing as if it was a Michelin star meal, like, and I was in heaven eating it. Um, but if you, I, so for my, for my racing, I have about goal of anywhere from 150 to 300 calories, 150 being really small, but per hour. Uh, and I, and, and one pack of goo or gel or the standard, you know, uh, serving side is going to be anywhere from a, 100 to 120 calories. So I know that I need to ideally have about two of those per hour. And I'll pack enough in my pack. You've got this running pack, we've got your hydration, your water, your electrolytes. Super important are the electrolytes. Um, and I'm tracking that in my head. Um, and, you know, you also have a little pouch so I can see how much I've used, how much I've eaten, how much all that. And I'll write it down as well on my phone. Again, I'm not. Well, is it provided if you need it, or is it supposed to be like the whole self-reliance? So every race is different. Most races, for sure, most races, it's provided. Um, so you get to eight stations about every 10 miles, call it. And at the eight stations, they're going to have goos, gels. I'm, again, a big normal food person. You want your salts, too. So they have chips. They have candy. They have uh, Coca-Cola. So much different food. And a lot of them, they'll have quesadillas, pancakes, uh, sloppy joes I've had at like mile 70 of a race. They served sloppy joes in the middle of the mountains and I was gorging them down. I had pancakes at like 6 a.m. Well, how long do you get to rest after you're digesting something like that? I mean, as long as you want, as long as you're hitting your cutoffs. So every race has safety cutoffs. And if you're not leaving a certain aid station by a certain time, you know, you may not have given up, but they're pulling you from the race because they only have permits for a certain amount of time, safety, and you may be off stuck on a mountain really late at night and it's freezing mm -hmm. cold and they've had bad experiences there. So um, they have these cutoffs, but you know, 
I, I mean, I got to the one where there was pancakes. I got there, and there was a guy hallucinating. He was lying down. People hallucinate during these races. He was lying down, and he'd been there for like an hour. He was way ahead of me. But I ended up leaving before him because he just needed to rest. But he had time in terms of cutoffs. So he was way ahead of the cutoff period. He had the flexibility to just drink, eat, regather himself, and then keep racing so she doesn't trip falling down a mountain. Uh, but yeah, I mean, nutrition is if you're not eating 200 calories an hour, really, you're going to eventually bonk and it's going to catch up to you. It's just. It's just a matter of time. Maybe not hour two, three, or four, because in a marathon, you can kind of get away with it. But hour 10, 15, 20, 40, 60, you're going to bunk. It's just, it's just a matter yeah, of time. So some of this is just keeping physically, and, and how about mentally? I mean, is there a certain amount of caffeination? What keeps you, uh, you know, mentally engaged and, um, right to keep going just to keep continuing on like you said when you're just alone with your thoughts is that's probably one of the hardest things to combat is yeah that's like emotional isolation that's 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 part of the difficulty that you go through i mean staying awake you can you know you can have coffee there's little in a lot of these gels they'll be caffeinated gels so you know it's not a lot of milligrams but five milligrams, 10 milligrams of caffeine, something like that in each of the gels, but it's, it's enough to keep some sort of steady steady flow in there. They'll have coffee that they serve at the at aid stations in the mornings and nights and stuff when you really need that. You know, there's nothing darker than being, this is the darkest time of any ultra marathon. Ask anyone. That, that midnight to 4 a.m. marker is just the death zone. You get the most DNFs, which is did not finish. Your mental state is you've been running for probably eight, 16 to 20 hours at that point. You're maybe 50 to 70 miles in, you know, on average. And you've got another 30 to 50 miles to go if you're running 100. And it's pitch black. You may be getting lost. It could be freezing cold. You're by yourself. You're in excruciating pain. Like it's dark. There's no, like, your body wants to sleep. Right. It, it is dark. Are you going to allow yourself any sleep or what, what's your... Uh, you have a sleep streak. Even everyone who's ever finished that race has slept to some degree, even every first place finisher. It varies, but I'll probably do about... Something I'm still figuring out, but I'll probably do about... I don't think more than two hours a night, an hour to a night would be the most I would do. Um, but, you know, I think... What they call what? What I'm going to experiment with is uh, these things called nappuccinos. As you have a little shot of espresso or you know Coca Cola or something before the caffeine actually hits you, you take a nap for about 30 minutes, and then you wake up and you've got the energy from the nap because it's a 20 to 30 minute power nap plus the caffeine starting to kick in, so wow. you feel re-energized. And I'm going to try to do those more during the nighttime where you're just mentally little restart but people sleep on the course people take 15 20 minute naps in the middle of the trail and just put their phone alarm on and wake up so it's this is going to be a new territory that i've never explored is how to time my sleep for a race wow so much exploration and learning 
but uh, it's fun and again like i love doing it and i love helping other people through it whether it's in the actual race so like i said it's a community but also like i've helped and coached friends do it through ultra marathons I've, like i do it now i started coaching people so it for me it's it's a passion getting yeah, people past maybe, state. You know, we don't have you for too long today maybe you know we certainly want to have you back after the race um uh you know and, and get to see you in person Totally. Tell me about the nutrition your posts. I was, you know, like they see, like I'm struggling with this now, you know, and, and trying to move towards healthier diets and planning ahead. And right, uh, you seem to be having fun in the kitchen. I know yeah. it's social, interesting, but yeah, how, wh what is the inspiration for you? Um, and, you know, for me, it's just being being healthy and being active. I think, I think society is, you know we're very much at our desks or whatever it is and you know we have so many options to eat poorly or to not do things for example it's easy to sit on the couch it's easy to pick up a bag of doritos from the gas station it's easy to do all these different things and it's obviously bad for us for me what i love is for as long as i can remember is nutrition and fitness it's being healthy and it's encouraging other people to do it uh, part of that is, you know, learning what nutrition I need for my races and for my training, because you need a lot of calories, you need a lot of protein, you need a lot of carbs every day. Like you need to be on top of that, and helping others do it. So, I love helping people, you know, lose weight and just getting getting to the baseline of healthy and normal. And then I also love helping people get to these crazy physical you know, challenges and accomplish them because you don't need to be this super fit Superman kind of person to do it. I mean, I'll see, I've seen very overweight people finishing Ironmans, finishing ultra marathons. And I have so much respect for them because it's all mental. Like I'm telling you, I'm going from a hundred to 240 miles. It's no physical training I can do to prepare myself for that. It's all mental training. And it's about discipline and consistency. That goes with everything from work to your kids. I'm not a parent, but to, you know, parenting to, uh, that, yes. yeah, not yet, but you know, it goes from, from work to parenting, to training, to your day-to-day -day health, right? Just learning and being consistent with going to the gym for 45 minutes or a yoga class or knowing your routine or knowing to say no to the candy or to the dessert at a restaurant or whatever it may be. Uh, and, you know, there's always room for that flexibility. Have the dessert if you want. But finding that balance is, for me, what I love. Exploring and experimenting in the kitchen. Like, make it fun. Make it healthy. Uh, how can I get as much protein and good, healthy nutrients in there? while still keeping it delicious and tasty and it's, it's also meditative it's fun to just kind of cook and, and do your thing and that i got from my mom definitely my dad um, <laughs> but uh yeah and helping people because i think the endorphins so, so i was gonna ask yeah what's the is there an ice cream sunday at the end i mean well, what's what's the reward is it gonna be food do you use food like is it just gonna be a 10-hour massage what, what's the gift you're gonna give yourself the day after this the day after is just anything my body needs. I mean, 
it, it's different in so many races. Massage, definitely not until the week after. You want to let the inflammation and swelling go down. Mm. Eating is very difficult for me afterwards. It's, it takes a while. Like you'd think, oh my God, you're going to eat the whole world. But like my appetite doesn't really come back until the next day, I'd say, at least. Uh, you're hungry, you'll eat things, but it's not to the same degree. It's kind of like, it's almost like after Passover. You think you're going to eat a ton. They're not passing after Yom Kippur. You sure. think you're going to eat a ton and you load up your plate and you eat like half of it. So it's kind of similar. You think you're going to eat everything and you just, you can't. You just can't. But I don't know. I mean, you can. I like that answer. Whatever I'll, my body needs. I like yeah. it. But yeah, are you going to use anything as a reward just to even uh, operantly condition yourself to get through? Or is the reward in itself competing? The reward's definitely in itself. There's, there's something called the belt buckle that you get when you do ultra marathons. The 100 mile distance and above, you get a belt. You don't get a medal, you get a belt buckle. And, you know, people always say, like, it doesn't matter what time, like, did you buckle? Like, did you, did you finish? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, for me, it's just the reward. I don't need a cake, I don't need anything like that. So you get to where, do you have an F for finish? Do you get the F? <laughs> anyway, I mean, I can't wait to talk more about this. I think we could do a few hours just on, on all of you and everything you've done. But in the interim, please tell our listeners how to follow you, how to get excited about. I got excited just from watching you the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, how to learn more. I love the messaging you're sending and the possibilities and the learning about yourself and about getting comfortable because because it's a good parallel for life right sports are and life is filled with challenges and there's meaning in those challenges that's part of why people come and call me and ask me for help right they don't know how to make sense of something sudden tragic unexpected and yet that's where we grow and find some of our uh our greatest strengths totally yeah so you can find me on instagram it's at like stream at uh, Eli Winnie. So as if you're winning a race, Eli, E-L-I Winnie. Um, and then, you know, you can follow me. I give tons of nutrition advice, everything from your day-to-day, how to just be healthy, how to fill up with electrolytes on your day-to-day to race-specific nutrition, and then basic training that you should just have and know and, you know, good workouts for your average person in the gym up until how to train for a hundred mile race. So I, I kind of cover the whole gambit and I try to have fun with it and run with friends and run with music and, you know, dance during the dance during the run and just enjoy nature. So I, I really encourage that from everyone. And I encourage you guys to go and, you know, whatever it is for you mentally, that's pushing you in that th- something that feels scary, something that feels, I don't know if I can do it, but I want to find out. Anything within that reach, sign up for it because that's the first step and it's the scariest step. And once you sign up for it, you're going to start training because that thing's coming and you're either not showing up and literally giving up, which is tough for a lot of people to do, or you're going to start training and you're going to get there. Maybe the first time you're in so much pain, you barely did it. You're like, that was kind of fun. And I'm going to maybe do it again. And for me, those states, like the cookie jar, the pain cave, however, when it comes into my normal day-to-day life, if I have a late day at the office, if I'm struggling with 
uh, I don't know, a breakup or if your kid does something or you get fired, whatever it would be in your life, you, you can go back to these other painful situations that you've put yourself in and that you've also gotten out of. And for me, it's the best thing because I'll convert the lessons I learned in ultra marathons to my day-to-day life every single time I, I do it. And I just couldn't encourage it for people more. Whether it's doing your first 10K and you've never gotten off the couch to if you've done a few marathons, try a 50K, try a 50 miler, um, try an Ironman, whatever it would be. I couldn't encourage it more. Wow. So will you uh, continue doing marathons or at this stage is it only ultras? Once you no, definitely. There's a lot more. There's, there's marathons. I want to qualify for Boston, which would mean doing a marathon in under three hours. So that's on my bucket list. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get back into Ironmans next year. Uh, so I'm gonna do a few of those. And there's some long distance swims on it. There's the swim from Long Beach to Catalina. It's about 26 miles swim that I've wanted to do. Uh, so there's there's a you know I want to climb Mount Everest one day. There's there's a lot of things that, that just breaking that mental barrier is my obsession, and helping people get there is so fun. Um, so yeah, and if you guys are interested, any any listeners, anywhere from getting in shape to doing some crazy physical feat that you've always kind of been scared of, uh, feel free to DM me. I, you know, would love to help you guys out with it. It's my passion. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's truly an honor and uh, a pleasure to to spend time with you. I hope you'll come back and talk to us about the lessons learned. Definitely. You've illuminated, you know, my eyes today about uh, the pain cave, about another way in which uh, women are, are showing um, they've got skills that uh, men can only help to uh, achieve, which is always, you know, <laughs> uh, humbling, but uh, inspiring. And uh, all the different ways, right, that we can make fitness fun and, and how to be with yourself and challenge yourself. Um, and the importance of family and community really to sustain all that uh, in a healthy way. So I appreciate the message and uh, if any of the listeners out there are ready to get to their next level, adopt a growth mindset and and the body is uh, a tool. It's the only one you have and uh, using it for that growth is uh, one of the most powerful things you can do for you uh, and your family. So thank you for tuning in today. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What an honor. What a privilege. And just amazed and in awe of ultra marathoners. Uh, Opened my eyes today. Uh, Eli Winninger, winning in life. Uh, I know it's cliche, but he'll appreciate the shout out and to his parents for uh, making the introduction. And you never know the gifts that come from your community and uh, friendships and i'm just continued to amazed by all of you with who i meet and how my guests come to me please if you know anyone or if you have a topic or guests that you'd like to have on the show uh i am continually excited that's part of why i do this this is my passion my way of giving back to all of you and to outreach and say uh if you or someone else you need help or support please reach out and let me know how to direct you it's been an honor This is Richard, and I'm out.